Welcome to Madison Voices. Theater is a reflection of society and the times in which we live. We give voice to the artist's perspective on art, theater, family, and life. We want to take this time to celebrate the talent, passion, and stories of those who are part of the Madison Theater family. I'm your host, Angelo Froboni, Artistic Director of the Madison Theater at Malloy College. We are going cruising today. Well, not really. My guests this week are two terrific actors who, until recently, were featured entertainers on cruise ships. Their stories are very different, but both of their experiences are worth hearing today. Both are alumni of Malloy College CAP 21 Theater Arts Program and have performed frequently at the Madison Theater. Let's welcome Peggy Sue Johnson and Mikey Merriman. How are you guys today? Hey, Angelo. I'm good. Thanks for having me today. Good, Angelo. Good. Yeah, I'm thrilled to be speaking with both of you today. You both were quarantined on your ships for a few weeks in different parts of the world. Peggy Sue, you were on board the Millennium as a production vocalist. Mikey, you were on board the Disney Wonder in their main stage show. Yes, sir. First of all... It's got to be crazy performing on a cruise ship. I mean, the stage is moving. I don't, I don't know if you guys feel the, the waves or the movement or anything, but let's start with Pegasus since you've been on a couple ships, the Millennium first, or not the Millennium last, and the Celebrity Equinox was your first ship. Talk about what, what it's like to perform on these ships. Yeah, so last year I did my first cruise contract on Equinox, mostly sailing in the Caribbean, um, which was quite a different experience than now working on the Millennium, where I was actually in Southeast Asia for um, the entire contract. Well, you know, until everything happened. Um, so as far as, you know, feeling the movement of the ship and stuff like that, on Equinox, it wasn't really a problem. I think we maybe had like two rocky nights where it affected us because the water just doesn't get as crazy down in the Caribbean. We were there most of the summer and it's very um, calm in comparison uh, to being in Asia. You're closer to all of the ports, the travel time, the distance isn't as much. Um, But being in Asia, we had some pretty crazy nights. Um, And it gets to the point where, you know, there's different levels of safety. So the first one would be, you know, reblocking the show, girls taking off high heels, um, using different costume pieces um, or different props, depending on the safety hazard or the automation on stage, the aerialist acts and stuff like that. Um, I've only had one show completely canceled, uh, and it was extremely rocky. So it takes a lot to get to that point. Um, but in general, working on the ship is great on celebrity. We don't have a lot of other responsibilities, um, just safety, which is on any ship. You have to be part of drills and, um, fire safety, lifeboat safety, all that kind of stuff. But other than that, our main job is to perform. And when we're not performing, we're not rehearsing we have off, we can go up to guest areas, we can eat, um, we can get off and port, do whatever we want. It's really amazing. And how long, uh, how many shows a week do you do? Well, so it's not really shows per week, it's per cruise. So um, say on Equinox, we had a lot of week-long cruises, um, in which case we did three production shows and one theme night. Uh, we don't Are they have completely different? These shows completely different? Completely different each show, yeah. So on Equinox, I did a show called Elysium, which is a fairy tale show, and I was the queen. Um, we do a show called Topper, which is kind of a play on Alice in Wonderland's uh, 
there's this giant hat on stage that dancers and aerialists come out of. Uh, it's really, really entertaining. And then we had a show called Life, which is just um, a more stripped back kind of show about different phases of, of life. Uh, really beautiful storytelling. And um, on Millennium, we do Elysium again, which is why I was moved to this ship was to do Elysium again. So same show, but different class ships. So the stage is completely different. The automation's different, um, but it's the same show, just adapted for a different stage. We did a show called Boogie Wonderland, which was... <laughs> super fun a lot of bright colors crazy dancing and a show called i broadway um, which was just basically um broadway through the decades from the beginning to the end um really really challenging uh, mix up of shows because sometimes you know you have shows back to back so going from singing a lead soprano princess role to you know doing boogie tunes uh, it's quite different but you know we had 12 to 14 day cruises so we had a lot more free time on those contracts <laughs> absolutely what about you mikey um well it's actually quite similar for us we do we also do three uh three different shows per cruise as well as we have one pirate night as well yeah, well pirate night yes um it's like it's a whole uh, thing yeah yeah so the, all the guests get dressed up. There's a pirate show up on deck. Um, I only understudied that for the pirate show, so I didn't have to do it every cruise. But it was, it's a lot of fun. Um, but we do um, a show called The Golden Mickeys, which is basically just like it's an award ceremony. And you, there's production numbers from all the different movies and stuff. And I got to play uh, Prince Philip from Sleeping Beauty in that, as well as I was a dancer, which was a switch up for me. And yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, I did a lot of dancing on this contract. Um, yeah, and I got to have, a, I had a couple other solos scattered throughout. And then our main book musical that we did was Frozen, in which I got to portray Kristoff, which was a lot of fun. That was my favorite one to do. And then we did you play the guitar as well. I didn't play guitar on this one. It was it was tracked. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's it's an actual lute that I'm playing, and there were two strings on it. There should have been four, and they were both out of tune. So if I tried <laughs> to play it, it would have been not not spectacular. But um, yeah, and then we Sorry. did. Oh. No, go ahead. Oh, then we did Disney Dreams on our. It was always the last night of the cruise, which is. Disney's I think it's actually the oldest show on Disney Cruise Line. It's just about a it's about a little girl who wants to her dream is to fly and Peter Pan comes in and helps her figure out how to do that and he brings her through all these different Disney movies and that one's a lot of fun too. Yeah, so your shows are definitely Disney centric though. Oh, absolutely. And different than Peggy Sue's which are more creative uh create or created from the ground up. Mm -hmm. but, but it seemed like Peggy Sue that you did some Disney or some princess songs in yours? Uh, we do um, a Broadway cabaret. And so for Broadway cabaret, we did like uh, the Lion King. We did the circle of life. Um, people can pull from um, Aladdin and stuff like that. Frozen. Uh, but technically we don't do like a Disney show. We do have a fairy tale princess type show, which kind of feeds into that um, Disney desire, I guess, that people have when they go to see a show. Um, but as far as uh, actual Disney music, you would only really see that in a Broadway cabaret. And those are different for every cast on every ship. Those are built from the ground up um, and tailored to 
each um, vocalist that's performing. Right. So, Mikey, is your ship more geared towards obviously families, but younger, uh, like a younger family, or you know, what's the clientele in your ship? Um, we actually, we're de- it's definitely geared more towards families. Of course, it's Disney. Um, I think they they definitely boast that we have the most uh, young uh, youth activities counselors on as out of all the cruise lines in the world, I believe. And basically, I'd say. It's mostly families with kids from around six to ten or twelve that area. There's a few on the younger side, and obviously a few on the older side as well. But that six to ten and twelve, and then the parents as well, right. of course. And, you, and your ships are they family or are they mostly older? I was looking at some of your audiences, and um, for us, it kind of no for Pegasus for me. It, it kind of depends on the itinerary, I would say. Like uh, the clientele on Equinox was completely different than the clientele on Millennium. Um, in general, they call our ships modern luxury. Um, so it's just for people wanting to uh, sit back, relax, and enjoy. It's not, uh, we do have youth programs, but it's not um, like this huge. It's family friendly, but we do even have like uh, 18 plus nights and stuff like that. So it's catered to uh, an older crowd. Um, definitely during the holidays, like Christmas or um, around, you know, New Year's and stuff like that. We had a lot of events going on for children, but mostly uh, it's an older crowd. And our sister uh, company, Royal Caribbean, I would say that's more of our uh, geared toward family type ships. They have the water parks and the slides and the trampolines and rock walls and all that stuff. Whereas ours is all about like we have the spas and the jacuzzis and stuff like that. Are these big ships? Like, I mean, the cruises that I've been on, they're like hotels, like floating hotels, almost like floating cities. I mean, that's why I'm surprised you even feel the rocking of the of the ocean or. Did you have any problems with with the movement of the ship, Mike? Uh, yeah, actually, we going out of the Gulf of Mexico because we were out of Texas and New Orleans at the towards the beginning of my contract, which going out of the Gulf of Mexico, for whatever reason, this gets very, very rocky. And so pretty much any time we were leaving our home port or coming back in, we'd have we'd have some rough nights on our crossover. When we first got on board, it was the cast before us. Their last show actually ended up getting canceled and then moved to 11 p.m. because it was too rocky to perform. But we never we never had to cancel a show, thank God. But um, we did do a lot of contingencies, they call them. So we would just take out like the taller set pieces that they didn't want anybody like, standing on top of or we'd cut lifts, that kind of stuff, same as what Peggy Sue was talking about. Yeah, I saw a lot of aerial work in your uh, on your videos. I went to both your websites, and you have some videos, Peggy Sue. Mm-hmm. And uh, that, that seemed frightening. Do you actually dance in any of these shows, by the way? You're a, such a fantastic vocalist, but <laughs> I don't know. Our listeners should know that you're a fantastic dancer as well, but I didn't see you <laughs> dancing at all in any of these clips that you had so on uh, thank you on equinox um i didn't dance a lot so they do um they kind of divide uh the way they build the shows so that they can recast for them as you have your production vocalists your production dancers and your aerialists and there is crossover there um on equinox i really didn't do a lot of crossover um, unless we were on like an understudy night where you know you're helping to fill in so there were a couple numbers i did 
But on Millennium, I am dancing 100% of the time in Boogie Wonderland and I Broadway, just dancing, singing. You have to do everything all at <laughs> once. It's exhausting. They're much more difficult shows than on the Equinox. So <laughs> it, it was it was a lot. We have this whole um hand clap sequence to happy days that's I don't even know how long it feels like 10 years every time you do it. Um and it's it took so long to learn and it's it's not exhausting, but to have the coordination and then if anyone messes up to not let it screw you up. Oh my goodness. It's something else. But yeah, on Millennium, I do dance a lot more. Um, sometimes we do crossover with Ariel. So in Miami, we have either one of the largest or the largest rehearsal studios. Every studio is equipped to fit um, a ship size stage in and there's um aerial rooms and production studios recording studios as well i mean anything you can need vocal studios so we do aerial training as well in the studios because sometimes you'll be required to do um aerial stuff in a show i haven't needed to do it much just kind of sitting on a hammock once but that (laughs) (laughs) on a hammock you're lounging Um, but i did have to go to aerial conditioning and I think I would prefer maybe not to do the aerial if I don't have to go to aerial conditioning anymore. <laughs> and, and, and Mikey, you're not a dancer or you don't claim to be a dancer, but you can move and you've danced. So, I mean, when they first threw this choreography at you, were you like panicked or were you like, oh, oh I can do it? Oh, absolutely. I, I had this thing that I kept saying where they would be like, all right, you need to be counting or you need to be acting. And I'd say, I'd say to them, I'd, I'd be like, all right, well, here's the thing. Throughout the entire song, there's just like screaming going on in my head right now. So that'll fade eventually. But right now, I, you just got to let me do my thing. It's but, a um, Oh, yeah. But it's it's funny because on there's Disney has four ships. They have the Magic and the Wonder, which are smaller ships, and then the Dream and the Fantasy, which are the bigger ships. I was on the Wonder, which is one of the smaller ships. And because it's a smaller ship, there's less um, space to hold crew members, which means that they have smaller casts which means that everyone has to do everything. So if you're, you're, you have your main feature in one show, you're dancing in another show and then doing both in the third show. It's just, it's the way the casting works. So it was, it was definitely overwhelming to learn, but I got there. Did you guys ever have to do like host shuffleboard or bingo night or anything like that? Cause I know on some cruise ships, they make the cast work game games during the day. We didn't have to do anything like that. We do do, however, on Disney, they have the characters who come out. So Minnie Mouse, Mickey Mouse, Donald Duck. We were the greeters for them, which means that we're the guys that are standing there taking the pictures for you or standing at the back of the line telling you that Mickey's not meeting any more families today. So that was that was our job, which I honestly I had a lot of fun doing just because oh, it's sure. oh, it's you. Your job is I got to hang out with Spider-Man as to and get paid for it. It was it was incredible. It was awesome. Yeah, on your on your website, I saw a picture of Spider Man in the hammock. I don't know if it was your hammock, maybe <laughs> too, but on his cell phone, it was pretty fun. Yeah. So let me talk about audiences. I mean, you've performed. Both of you have performed a lot in the states. On you know, how are the how are the audiences different, like on land, than they are in sea? And then Peggy Sue, you're actually in the Caribbean, and then in South Asia, Southeastern Asia. I mean. Are the audiences drastically different? Are they more ruckus? Are they just more laid back? 
Um, Talk about your audiences. So, yeah, I would say it depends. The audience depends on the itinerary um, and you kind of get a breakdown of the guests after the first couple of days you're on board. Um, The Caribbean was so different. Everyone's just kind of like drunk and happy all the time. So the shows go over so well. You could give the worst performance, be like down with the fever, cracking all over the place. I mean, hopefully that never happens, but... And you would do degrees after a show. We have to do those every now and then. So there's like a rotation and you have to go out in costume and say, thanks for coming to the show. Hope you enjoyed it. You know, that kind of stuff. And let me tell you on Equinox, you were like the next Broadway star. Everybody loved you. The best voice they've ever heard. Oh my gosh, you're amazing. On Millennium, that is not the case. They are not drunk and happy enough. They have critiques. They want to tell you about your costume, your song choices, as if we write the shows. Like I, there are so many times where you just have to smile and not be like, thank you so much for your opinion. Because yeah. <laughs> like, what am I going to do? Like, I'm sorry you didn't like the song choices. Like, I don't know what to tell you. Um, and that's not all the time. Like over the holidays, everybody's kind of happy. Everybody loves the shows. You're doing extra like holiday shows. They love it. Um, when we were in Spain and we did a crossing in Spain, um, everybody loved it. We do crew shows, like late night crew shows because they can't come to see the shows when the guests are there. So sometimes we do like 11 PM midnight shows and the crew always loves it. And they're like hyping you up, but you get some bad eggs sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Do you ever take any of the, any other critiques back to your directors and say, you know, someone had said we should add this song to the show. <laughs> sometimes I'll tell, like if I, I, cause sometimes we get like really bad um, guests, like you will get, you know, if a, a guest is, you know, too drunk or a little too handsy and stuff, you do have like your cruise director around um, and sometimes safety and security so that they can handle that because, you know, if D greets are going too long or, that people are acting inappropriate, it can be a problem. But a lot of times, you know, if it's just mean comments, sometimes I'll be like, oh my gosh, you know what? I have a friend down at Guest Relations. They would really love, and you kind of just mess with your friends. So it's like, you, you know, someone over there. And they're like, okay, who did you, who sent over this guy tonight? Because then they'll get complaints. <laughs> but it never goes back to the studio. I mean, unless for whatever reason, some show is never going over well. Cause every now and then, you know, we get new shows like Elysium is a new show. Um, the, this fairy tale show that I've been doing on both of the ships and they're kind of particular about it, about who's doing it, um, where it is. And they really want to know how it's going over with guests. Um, because if a show is not going over well and you're getting complaints all the time, the, the show ends up getting canceled. So they do retire shows and bring in new shows. Um, does that but, happen mid-cruise or does that happen after? No, it would happen after a contract. Sometimes they phase it out. Um, like on reflection, which is where I may be heading to next, depending on what happens with this whole situation, um, they have a show called Max. Um, and it's this kind of futuristic technology show that I guess hasn't been going over well. So I don't actually even know if that's a show that I'll be learning that the, ca the last two casts that have been on board have learned it and never performed it. They open it for install and then, you know, it doesn't go over well. So the cruise director just doesn't put it in the lineup. They just bring on more guest entertainers. So it just depends. It, so it can get pulled out, like you won't perform it, but you won't get a new production show to learn in the middle of a contract because with the set pieces and the choreography and the costumes, it's just, it wouldn't happen. 
Right. What about you, Mikey? How are those audiences on the Disney? <laughs> it, uh, it, like Peggy Sue said, it definitely varied per um, itinerary. We did a lot of different itineraries in a very short amount of time. So the guests that were coming from Galveston and going to Castaway Key, which is Disney's private island, were uh, definitely more receptive to the Disney stuff than the guests that were coming out of Puerto Rico and going to Aruba and Barbados. It was just the way that works for sure. Um, the kids tend to be very, very receptive, especially when we're like out in the audience and there's, uh, we do circle of life in Disney dreams. And I got to go out in the audience with a drum and like have all these different kids like play the drum, which they, and they love that kind of stuff. Um, and it also depends on the day. For example, we, there were on a four or three day cruise, we do golden Mickey's our, which was always our first show on the first night of the cruise. And that sometimes meant that the guests were very tired at that point. So the audiences were a little less receptive than they would be for frozen the next night. It's just totally depended on the day, the time. It, but for the most part, I'd say that the, the audiences that are coming on a Disney cruise are generally very receptive to the Disney material that we're giving them. So you both have performed on stage here in the States on land. Now the audiences on land, is there a different expectation from them than there is on the cruise ship? Because the cruise ship audiences are sort of captive. You know, they, they can't go anywhere else. They can't walk down the street and go to a different show or they could go to a club or something like that. But I mean, how are the audiences, do you find it different than performing on land than on the cruise ship? Yeah, for me, I think on land, um, it's different because people know what they're getting into. You know, if they buy a ticket to your show, they know they're going to go see nine to five or legally blonde or whatever it is. So most of the time people kind of know what they're getting into or they're going to see a certain artist or something like that. And so I think in general, probably they're more receptive. Whereas like you mentioned on a cruise ship, it's like, you know, they have nothing else to do, which is probably why I'd say like on Disney, it makes sense that people going to a Disney cruise ship would like the Disney shows. Cause they kind of know, you know, why would you go on a Disney cruise if you didn't like Disney? Whereas, you know, something for celebrity, um, where it's like, they, they don't know these shows at all. You know, they're built from the ground up. And so they really have no clue what to expect. Like I've had guests come up to me afterwards and tell me like, well, I had nothing better to do. You know, you're like, thanks for coming. And they're like, well, there's nothing else. And you're like, I mean, you're right. <laughs> so, thanks. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> but I think been worse. <laughs> in, um, in New York specifically, I think there is a kind of, I don't know if it's a higher standard we put on ourselves or that's expected from the audience, but I do feel like uh, it's a bit more, people can get into this laid back feel sometimes on the ships and you kind of have to like push for everyone to be, you know, on their A game and doing their best. Whereas I feel like in New York, I've never had that experience because everyone feels like they have something to prove. So that aspect seems a bit different. Same with you. Mikey. Yeah. Well, for me, I think the biggest difference is that when you're doing a show in the U S or in New York specifically, like that audience is getting a playbill at the beginning of the show and they, they know your name, they can look you up. Like it's, a different, totally different experience on the cruise, especially for Disney, because as far as that little girl in the audience is concerned, like that's, that's Kristoff up there. That's the guy from the movie. Whereas I, 
I think in the US we like doing shows on land, like it's kind of expected that like, oh, this is Mikey playing this role. I hope he's good. Whereas it's, uh, you know what I'm trying to say? I just, right. well, you, they know you who guys, you are. There's, it's more of like, it's more of like a, it's more of a performance, I guess. Whereas, especially, especially for Disney, like they're going there and like, these are the characters up there. Right. So oh, you did, you both have performed for me in our dream is wish concerts, which was basically has some, uh, characters in it. And I was very strict with you guys about staying in character and, you know, mm-hmm. that you had to be your character when you're meeting with the kids because it is a fantasy. It's like yeah. Santa Claus. You don't want them, you don't want to break the illusion, you know, of, of who you are. Um, but let, so let's talk a little bit about before we get into this whole sequester and quarantine thing let's talk a little bit about the other performances on land you know like concerts and and you guys are both alumni of malloy college talk about your first months and in years or first year out of out of college i mean was it an easy transition was it difficult you know were you thinking oh what did i do with my life for the last four years or were you like no this is great you want me to start? Peggy. Yeah, you can start, Peggy. Um, you know, I have a, a really particular experience, I guess, when it comes to that. Um, the last couple months of my senior year, I got pneumonia. So I was really sick making that transition. Um, I feel like I have these like vague memories of working on our showcase and trying to finish up school and going out into the real world. Um, so I, I would say like my expectation of like finishing on a strong note, going out there, smashing the auditions, meeting with agents and all that stuff kind of just came crashing and stopped and blew up in my face. Um, so I remember speaking with one of my former teachers, Mana, like at, um, our final showcase, I like barely made it through <laughs> and she was telling me, you know, like, you need to take care of your health first. Um, because if you don't take care of it now, you're going to crash and burn later. And so she's like, if you're feeling better today, you're just going to feel worse tomorrow if you push through it. So I ended up taking a couple months off. I didn't do anything. Uh, when I graduated, I moved out of my apartment. I moved in with friends. I helped watch their kids. I went to a bunch of doctor's appointments. I got healthy. Um, so I actually, I didn't, didn't get an agent, didn't sign with anybody, didn't go to meetings, didn't audition until, um, I think I took two, three months off completely. And it was, uh, in later in August that I went to a couple auditions. Um, and I actually met up with some classmates to go to auditions. I'm pretty sure I saw Mikey at one of them. Like, I think it's something rotten or something like, um, and so I had, I, I had this crazy experience. I really only auditioned for two weeks maybe uh, I made it into the final callbacks with, um, Royal Caribbean to do either grease or hairspray. And then, um, I almost didn't go to the celebrity audition because everybody was booking appointments on actors access and I didn't get one. And I was a little bitter about it, but I went anyways because I don't have an agent. So I had to go to open calls and I went there with, um, Michael O'Grady, um, one of our classmates and, there were so many auditions happening at the same time that no one was at because there were hundreds of people waiting to go to celebrity. And so we signed up and somehow got in the beginning of the list and started running around doing all these other auditions so much so that I almost missed the audition for celebrity. 
And so I come like barreling in with my pop rock 16 bars ready to go. And it was just this crazy experience. It was like 11, 11. They were making jokes about making a wish. And I was like, haha, I wish you would hire me and give me a job. And they thought I was funny. And then like I sang and um, they were like, wow, yeah, we really like you that you, you can have a callback. And I was like, that was easy. Like, great. <laughs> totally just like shooting myself in the foot but it's kind of funny because you know in class you talk about like making it organic be yourself and I felt like the biggest fool or idiot like no one in the world is gonna hire me but that's exactly what happened like I went through the week of callbacks there were hundreds of us there and only three of us booked the job at the end and by the next month I was in Miami in rehearsals it was this crazy experience um and then now I'm on my second contract with them, kind of. Everything's on pause right now, but technically I am on my second contract with them. <laughs> now, for our listeners who don't know, explain what the difference, you know, Mickey, you can explain this. Uh, what's the difference between an open call and an agent call? Just explain the difference. Me or Mikey? <laughs> um, basically, for an agent call, when you have an agent, they call up the casting director, they'll make you an appointment, you go in at a specific time, like say 11-11, you'll go in, you'll do your material, the casting director knows you're coming, they have information about you beforehand, and it's, it's honestly just easier that way. However, when you don't have an agent, you have to go to open calls, which means that Everyone shows up at 6 a.m. that morning, puts their name on a list. Hopefully you are there early enough to where you can be seen. Um, you go in one after the other. They just have your headshot and resume. They, ha they know nothing about you beforehand. So basically you're going in and giving it your best shot and hoping that you can make a good enough impression. It's, it's Open calls can be very, very crazy, but... Yeah. And, and Peggy Sue, I think your story was great about everyone being themselves because you probably walked in there. You didn't sit outside waiting for this one audition all day and saying, I have to impress them. You just kind of ran in there and were yourself. You were natural and you were just having fun with them. And they probably saw that because as a director or as a producer, people that come in that are enjoying themselves, they're loose and having fun. The, you know, you makes you want to work with these people. So that's a great, it's a great right. story. Well, and that's the energy that, you know, you bring into a work environment. And I think that's the trickiest thing about auditioning is you're trying to create these organic moments so you can show people, you know, your talent, but they, and that you can take work seriously, but you also want to be yourself because, you know, that's who they want to work with when they're working with someone every day in rehearsals, but it's such a hard balance to find. So, right. Yeah. So, Mikey, out of graduation, how were your first few months and year after? Um, it was it was a strange transition for me as well. I um I was I didn't get an agent out of school, so I I did get an offer for a summer stock that summer, but for whatever reason, I decided not to take it. So I I stayed home that summer and I just auditioned and auditioned and auditioned as much as I could. And then I got at the, towards the end of the fall. So around, around September, I finally got, um, so in September, about the end of September, I ended up booking the Hunchback of Notre Dame at the Argyle theater, which was my first professional gig ever. 
And that was a really interesting experience because you kind of expect it to be, it was, I mean, Narga is on Long Island. So it's from, I was basically working at home essentially. So I was doing that. And I actually, during that experience, I got to, I was in the ensemble and I understudied one of the lead guys, uh, Phoebus. And during one of the shows, he ended up calling out halfway through. So I went on for act two without any rehearsal and ended up doing the rest of the weekend, which was a really crazy experience for your first ever professional gig. Um, and then after that, I was like, okay, yeah, I'm on a roll. This is great. Gonna go. And I, that ended around January and I didn't get another callback until May. So it was just like, I was like, okay, yeah, on this high. And then all of a sudden I was like, no, which was, that was, it was, it was hard. It really kind of, it kind of knocked me down a few pegs. I, I got to a point where I was talking about going back to school and figuring it out from there, possibly doing like a graphic design major or something. And then I, I'd actually throughout starting around sophomore years of college, I started auditioning for Disney. I think by the time I'd gotten my first call back for them, which was in, um, which was in May, I would have done about nine auditions for Disney until when they cast me. So that was, it was, it was good. And then I was working for, I had the job in May and, but I didn't start till September. So I spent the entire summer serving still. I was working at a pizza place on Long Island. And then I finally left in September and it was the best six months that I have had in years. So that was, it was, yeah, really cool. No, that's, that's great. And, and I think our listeners have to understand that sometimes you can jump from job to job and job, but even for people who've done multiple Broadway shows, sometimes you just aren't right for a role. You aren't right for a specific part and you just aren't landing those jobs and you can go through a dry period. So don't ever beat yourself up. You're very talented. You're a great singer. Our listeners, you got to hear this guy sing. Uh, you know, you just got to be confident about who you are and what you are. You guys are, are fantastic. Now you guys, uh, I went back and I was looking at your websites and Peggy Sue, you have uh, one of the most versatile voices I've ever heard. I mean, I, I always forget. And I, you know, I was listening to you on some of your cruise ships and you did some of your pop songs and you were wailing. But then I went and I listened to your Daniel Rodriguez, where you did um, uh, the song from Phantom. That, that was, it was unbelievable. And talk, I mean, as a vocal productionist on, on the cruise ship and, or production uh, vocalist, I mean, you're asked to do a lot of different things from soprano work to, you know, pop rock and stuff like that. Is that a challenge or is that just something, I mean, we have a history. I've, I've known you since you were a, a junior in high school, I think. That's when I first heard you sing. Yeah. Yeah. For so long. I just came up, I'll have to send it to you. I just came up on a picture of us from like my first Access <laughs> Broadway. So besides the point, but I'm going to send it okay. to you because it's so funny. I'd love to see it. <laughs> So talk about just the versatility and then we're going to come back to you, Mikey. Mikey. Yeah. So I would say it's definitely, it's a challenge. There's nothing 
easy about it. I think, um, you know, working on the amount of concerts that I did, whether it was at the Madison theater, um, obviously I had done so much work there, um, or the shows that I did in school, um, or the concerts that I did outside of school, working with some composers like Robert Kiki and Joe Iconis. Um, I was asked to work on a lot of different things, but like you said, you've known me for a long time. My freshman year, if anyone had asked me to sing, Phantom of the Opera, I would have laughed in their face. That's just not something I was prepared to do. Um, you know, but you, each year you change and develop more as an artist. So definitely by my senior year, uh, soprano work was something that I was super fluent in. And now on the cruise ship, it's something I'm called upon to do all the time. Like the main reason that I was hired for celebrity was to do, uh, their soprano show as the princess in Elysium. Um, and it's kind of just a bonus that I can do all the other stuff. Um, and so, yeah. And then it ended up being, you know, on a shorter cruise, um, it ends up being a little more strenuous because sometimes, you know, you have the three production shows, then you do a matinee of a Broadway cabaret and then maybe a theme night. And, you know, you have a lot of time off, but the recovery period to, you know, rest and get ready for this next show to do a leading soprano role and then to do, you know, a pop rock show the next day is, um, a lot. It's a lot of work and you really have to take care of yourself. Um, you know, steaming, having a humidifier, taking your vitamins. Um, but even on millennium, like the show I told you about, I Broadway, that's kind of Broadway through the decades. I sing, um, on my own from Les Mis. I sing Mamma Mia. I sing Phantom of the Opera, the title number from Phantom of the Opera. I sing like I do hairspray. And so within an hour I've, I've, exhausted my singing abilities by the end of the show. Um, and honestly, sometimes not that I'm like patting myself on the back cause it was amazing. You know, it doesn't always go over well, but I finish a show and I'm like, I cannot believe I just did that. Like you're just singing the highest of highs from each show, right? The big, the standout number on my own in Les Mis, I dreamed a dream. You're singing Phantom of the Opera. You're singing Mamma Mia. And it's like these, moments that in a, in a regular musical you build your way up to or you know there's an arc and a story behind it or sometimes in a cruise show it's just like you're banging out these crazy numbers and it's really exhausting like so I finished a contract and my voice was like shot to hell by the oh, end of I'm the sure. first one I'm sure it's a lot and Mikey now you know you talked about some down times and stuff like that but you also did a web series you, you've, you've done some film and some TV and stuff. So you keep busy doing other things. So talk about a little, a little about what's this web series about? Uh, web series? Yeah. Didn't you do a web series? My, like my YouTube, YouTube stuff? YouTube the guitar stuff? Yeah. yeah. Oh, um, it's just, it's, I call it anyway, here's Wonderwall. It's just basically I just pick songs from shows that have been on Broadway that I've done, anything that I feel like singing and work out an acoustic arrangement sometimes i'll do duets bring in a cup bring in a friend or whatever and i just it's mostly just for fun just to kill some time and i just put it up on youtube and hope for the best you know i yeah they're fun they're, it's a lot of fun listeners you gotta you gotta look these up they're a lot of fun to, to watch now you play guitar really rather rather well the disney didn't want to utilize that do they know you can play they, i 
I don't know if they do. Basically, the thing with Disney for these shows is that they they're so they're the you don't really you don't get to make the show. It's the shows are made like Frozen was done in 2016. The first cast Disney Dreams was done probably like 1998, something like that, and. They, they refresh them every once in a while, but for the most part, they, you're seeing the same show for a very long time. So you, you don't, you get to put your own spin on your piece of it, but you don't really get to add anything entirely new to it, which is... You can't whip on no, a guitar. I don't, I don't get that opportunity. <laughs> we did, however, on our Panama cruise, which was ended up being our last cruise, um... We do a little cabaret for the guests because we're used to doing 70 cruises at the most, but this is a 14-night cruise, so they have to add more entertainment in. So we did a cabaret, and I, I was able to play guitar for that. So it's just kind of the way that the shows are already written. You kind of have to put yourself into that as opposed to making the show for you. And do you do uh, crew shows like Peggy Sue did on her? <laughs> we were supposed to. <laughs> But that didn't happen as planned because of circumstances. Well, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm sure. So let's talk about the circumstances. Uh, this COVID-19, a lot of our senior uh, students lost their in, in the end of their season, mm-hmm. end of their senior year, you know, getting ready for their showcase. They're, re, you know, they're redoing their showcase and they're going to reschedule it and everything. But a lot of them just abruptly were pulled out of it. So you guys were on cruise ships. Now, Mikey, you were on a small one, a smaller um, one. Smaller. Peggy Sue, yeah, smaller, but Peggy Sue, you were on a bigger one. Uh, the cruise ships seem to be, you know, the first sort of target uh, demographic outside of China. It seemed like cruise ships were the hot spots for these things. What happened and where, what was going through your minds when these, when this hit? Did it affect your cruise ship uh, specifically, or was it just other ships and you guys were just wary of what was going to happen? Well, so my cruise ship was in China. (laughs) Kind of a a double whammy. Yeah, so my itinerary was Southeast Asia. Um, We were supposed to board in Hong Kong in December, but because of the political unrest and the riots, we ended up joining in Vietnam. Um, Not much after, like uh, just late uh, the next week. Um, But so, yeah, my contract was kind of a bit of a mess from the get go. But we, you know, once we hit New Year's, we thought, you know, we were out of the woods um, and we were not. So we were I would say one of the it was us and that princess ship that was all over the news that that first cruise ship where everyone was quarantined and everyone was like, what the heck is going on? It was like our two ships. You know, there were a couple other ships in China, but they all kind of left right away. Um, and we, we didn't. So we, I've been dealing with this COVID-19 since early January. Um, or yeah, it's, everybody's complaining about their two weeks quarantine and I'm on month four. So (laughs) I have no sympathy. (laughs) No, I'm just kidding. Um, but we had, yeah, we had, uh, port changes, um, 
we had uh, schedule changes, you know, people couldn't fly in, they were canceling flights, they were changing itineraries, my parents were planning to come visit, we were going to see the Great Wall of China, uh, that didn't happen. Um, they, and you know, it's kind of funny, there was, there's so much communication happening at this time, because at that point in January, no one had any clue what this was going to turn into. And so, none of my friends understood what I was going through. Everybody just thought, you know, it's just this weird thing in China. It'll be over soon. Um, but, and I think the company was trying to wait it out too. Like we weren't canceling cruises for a while. We were just changing itineraries. Um, guest entertainers couldn't fly on. We were changing our show schedule, just trying to do anything to make the guests happy. Um, so as much as earlier, I said, we don't really have a lot of extra responsibilities this was kind of a time where it was all hands on deck, you know, whatever you can do to help, help, because, you know, the guests were, how long were you taking on, how long were you taking on guests? Um, we, so we were taking on guests through mid February. We finally, we were on the middle of a cruise, uh, right before Valentine's day when finally they were like, uh, the, it's starting to spread. The situation's getting bad. We're disembarking all the guests. We went to Singapore, disembarked all the guests. Um, uh, probably like around the 8th or 9th of February and just sailed out and anchored at sea until further notice. Um, and so we were the first ship that had happened to, um, it was us. And then princess had been quarantined at that point, but everyone else, it was business as usual. Like even, you know, regular flights to any other country, it was just things in China. And then basically these two ships, there was another Royal ship too, but they had left. Um, we had uh, the Celebrity Constellation sometimes docked with us in Singapore, but they were mostly doing um, Dubai and um, I think Vietnam a bit too. So they just changed their itinerary and they were fine for a long time. So we went out to sea and we were kind of waiting because we're a day ahead now of the Miami office. So kind of waiting for them head office to hear what they wanted to do with us. And they didn't have any answers because no one knew what was going on with this virus and everyone thought it would kind of go away. Um, and then finally we kind of got less than a 24 hours notice, like pack up, we're sending you home. Um, we're doing a crossing to California and you'll join the ship in California or Hawaii. They didn't know if it was going to be California or Hawaii at that point. And so we just had to pack up and leave. Like half of my belongings are still on the ship. I've been living out of a suitcase oh since February. <laughs> out of one suitcase. <laughs> well, you're originally from California, right? Yeah. So, so I thought, you know, no big, like I'll go home. I actually ended up going to a different ship. I was on the celebrity solstice. So I left in Singapore and joined in Australia to a different ship. Um, and I was there for the whole last month, which is why I haven't been home this whole time. Um, but it was with the understanding that after one cruise, I would go back to my ship. And then my ship was like, just kidding. Uh, we don't have new cruises yet. Wait. And so I stayed, um, on that ship for another cruise, um, uh, for another 12 days. And were they taking, were they taking passengers? They were still taking on passengers. Yeah. In Australia, New Zealand, nothing was wrong at that point. That was still February. Um, 
And it was still just kind of like, everyone was like, it's not a big deal. Like it's fine. Blah, blah, blah. Nobody knew. And, um, it was by the end of that cruise, they had announced that we were doing these cruises for heroes in California. I don't know if you guys heard about it, but celebrities plan was to offer free cruises to firefighters and police officers and military active duty, military veterans and stuff like that. So we were supposed to be joining back. Um, well, it was supposed to be a couple weeks, then it was a month, then it was March 20th. Um, I was supposed to be joining the ship. And then, so I had stayed at that point on the other ship for about a month. And finally they were like, yeah, no, we're canceling. Everything's canceled. Uh, they're sending guests off. And so then the same thing happened on that ship as it did to my ship. We disembarked all the guests, the crew just stayed on board until further notice. Um, so then I was sent off, um, but there's still a lot of crew on the ship. They're in quarantine in guest cabins uh, just until further notice. Right. And, oh, Mikey, you were here in the yeah. States more or less, so things hit here a little bit yeah, later. Yeah, ours, so, ours started much, much later. We, around February, mid-February, we started getting – travel bans on our cruise so anybody that was had been to china or any of like the majorly infected areas at that point in the past 14 days was not allowed to cruise which was at first we we're like okay this is it's not a huge deal right now and then they added italy to the list and then around march 6 was our panama cruise and they at the beginning of that cruise they said okay we're gonna we're going to a higher elevated um they call it the age matrix age is like a different thing but basically what it meant was that they're going to be sanitizing the ship more and cleaning more and everything is just like a little bit at a higher level of sanitation so instead of cleaning the ship three times a day they clean it every three hours everything gets and so at first we were like okay fine great whatever so we started this panama cruise on march 6th and as the cruise is going on that's when things started to um, like really hit the fan, I'd say. So um, they had they temp checked all temperature checked all the guests as they were coming on for that cruise, and no one was showing any signs of fever or anything like that. So that the cruise started going ahead as planned, and then about three days in, we we normally as the main stage performers and the character performers and we all had um, guest dining privileges up on the deck nine, which meant we could go to the buffet. We could go to any of like the quick service places or all of that. Um, that was the first thing to go. So they took away the guest dining privileges just to like keep us more separated. And then, oh, my headphones just died, I think. Nope, they didn't. Sorry. <laughs> all right. So they took away the guest dining privileges first to keep us separated. And then from there that's when they started canceling ports. So we were supposed to, our first port that cruise was Cozumel, which happened. We went to Grand Cayman the next day. And then after that, we were supposed to go to Cartagena, Colombia. And we got to Cartagena and they said, nope, you can't get off the boat. And at that point, it wasn't like because there was age on the, um, because there was Corona on the boat and they want, they didn't want it in Colombia. It was because there was Corona in Colombia and they didn't want it to spread to the boat. So, and at this point now, it's the same deal. We have guest, guest performers on board who were supposed to D 
debarked in Colombia, and we had we were supposed to bring performers on board, and that none of that happened. All we were able to do is refuel, and I believe they were able to get some sort of delivery on board for food and all that. So we did. We didn't dock in Colombia. We sailed the Panama Canal, and things start. And every day we kind of like get like a new a new thing. Like we started having to wear gloves in the mess when we were getting the food, that kind of stuff. And then by the end of the cruise, we'd learned that we were, we weren't going to be cruising for the next cruise. We were going to, we were going to disembark all these guests, which was fine. We ended up doing that cruise. We did, we docked in Cozumel, Grand Cayman, and then did, I think 10 days at sea. Because we were supposed to have, we were supposed to go to Cabo, we were supposed to go to Puerto Vallarta, and just none of it was viable. And they wanted to make sure we could get the guest off the boat safely and not bring anything else onto the boat. So they, we disembarked the guests on the 20th. And at that point as well, we, were, we lost some of our crew members too, because anybody, we had people that their contracts were ending that day. But the problem was that they couldn't bring anybody onto the boat. So we lost our, our stage manager was our, is, was our leader, was like our main supervisor. So at that point, we didn't, have, we didn't have a stage manager. And we were like, but it was like, it was fine. We were just, we were cruising. It was supposed to just be two weeks. And then we were going to bring guests back on board again. And we were going to start up again. Um, I think it was supposed to be March 31st, something like that. And pretty much every day from that point on, we got another update. And things got a little bit more intense. We started having to do social distancing on board and all that. Um, by the end, by I left the boat on April 3rd. That week, that Monday about, they said no crew were, were going to be able to disembark for the foreseeable future because they had found two cases of corona on the boat. Which was, yeah. So they, and then they, they debarked those crew members. And they were, but they were said no one else can get off the boat at this point. And then they started having us wear masks on board. They instituted a 9 p.m. curfew. We could only eat two to a table in the mess. Um, and then I'd say around March 31st, they said, uh, yeah, March 31st, they said that no crew was going to be able to debark. And then Two days later, they said, except for you guys, you guys are getting off on Friday. So on Wednesday, we learned we were getting off the boat on Friday. And that was for any non-essential crew members from the US, the UK, or Canada. So we got off. And when you, when you got off the boat, did you have to quarantine in the States here? Or like, are you on quarantine right now? You just um, got off on April 3rd. I got off on April 3rd. So basically, I mean, I'm quarantined in my bedroom, in my house, I, there, there was no actual, like, there's no, I mean, I mean, we don't, I don't legally have to be quarantined in my room. I'm doing it more as for myself and for people, the people around me. But, um, yeah, but at this point now, right after we left the boat, they, the cases on board went up to about, I think they said 38, something like that. Yeah, so they're the crew on board right now. They're all quarantined. Either a lot of them are in guest cabins, but they're all quarantined to their rooms. So we're we we got off just in time. At at this point, no one that I know has shown any symptoms or anything like that, which is thank God. But um, 
yeah, it's, it's been, it's been very, very crazy. Everything, every day was like, kind of like a new battle. We, we started off on this ghost cruise being like, okay, great. We're going to be able to like do the shows for the crew. We're going to be able to do different events. We're going to have game shows and stuff. And it started off really great like that. And then it all just kind of disappeared. Yeah. Yeah. So and yeah, by the-, the same for us, the first couple of days were like, awesome. We can use the pool. We're going to do a show. And exactly. It's like snow days in school. Yeah. The first couple of days off are great. And then it sucks. Yeah. And then all of a sudden it's like, okay, but you have to be six feet apart at all times and you have to wear a mask and you have to be back in your room by 9 PM. And, and you're you just can't like- touch anything and you can't go eat here and you can't do this. <laughs> mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Did you have any cases on your ship, Peggy Sue? Uh, no. So it's, uh, crazy, you know, of all the ships to get it. Um, you would think we would have had it, but no, you know, they, they are saying though, that they think people got it before they knew what it was. Um, because like Mikey said, we have these levels, they, they call it something different for us. We, our safety sanitization is OPP. So you have OPP level one, two, three, whatever, until you're in the red. And, um, when it's flu season, you're always at like OPP level three, which is like the, you know, housekeeping is making everyone use hand sanitizer. You can't serve yourself in these areas. And so at at first it's like, that's what it is with the temperature checks and you're kind of used to it. But, um, everyone was sick on the ship in December. And so people say like, you know, maybe, maybe people had coronavirus before we knew what it was. And then everyone kind of recovered. We have no known cases on the ship. And definitely we were in quarantine before the two week quarantine was standard. We did like a 20 day quarantine basically where we couldn't get off in ports and stuff like that. So definitely no one, um, has actually been reported with it, uh, from my ship specifically. I know on a couple other celebrity ships, there were cases now, um, on their newest one, Apex, it was supposed to open. It was in France and there were a bunch of cases on it from the contractors coming on board, but it's crazy. Even the ships that don't have anyone sick or have done the quarantine, they're still not letting people off. You know, people just abandon at sea, not sick, just wanting to go home well, and they can't. Uh- are they in port someplace or are they just, like you said, anchored at sea? I mean, what are these people, don't these people have other countries that they could go to? Or I, I'm just kind of uh, So it's a mix. I think it's a mix and it depends on the company too. Like Princess uh, Cruises, not to trash on Princess, but they've kind of been a hot mess. Like they're the ones that have really had um, a lot of reports of, you know, coronavirus cases and a lot of people in quarantine and stuff. Um I know for us, for Celebrity and for Royal, we really haven't had that many cases and the the sister companies are trying to work together to get people home because um, only, I think Apex, which is the new ship that was in France, was the only one that really needs to finish their quarantine because they have so many cases. Um, So I know like the Solstice, the ship that I was on in Australia, New Zealand, they're finally have just gotten permission to make a crossing to Singapore. And so people have been stuck on the ship since, um, I got off on the 20th, but they disembarked all their Filipino crew members, Indian crew members, and, uh, one other, I don't recall what onto, they wouldn't even let them pull up in port, um, in Australia, in Sydney, Australia, even though nobody is sick on board. So they had to get off on tender boats, take a tender boat from that ship to a Royal Caribbean ship and with all of their belongings 
Um, and now that ship is making a crossing and actually taking them to their home ports. And they're hopeful that once they get there, they'll be allowed to get off. But there's a lot of ships that were docked in Miami and Miami said, no, like you can for us in Singapore, the rule was you get off in Singapore, but you have to go straight to the airport and fly to where you're going home, you know, wherever. Um, and it was the same when I was in Australia that day. Um, but now everything's changed. I think people are a little paranoid, even if you're not sick, you know, people just, they don't want anybody coming in. They don't want to take any chances. Like people on millennium on my ship that's been in quarantine since February, well, since January, really, but since has been without guests since February, they were supposed to be disembarking people in San Diego last week. And San Diego said, no. Right. Yeah. The port, but it's like absolutely no one no is to sick. some cruise cruise ships as well. Yeah. What were your, what were your parents going go, going through your parents' mind? I mean, if if you were my kid, I would have been panicked to see you guys on cruise ships. Mikey, yeah, what were your parents' mom, going? Honestly, right, Mikey, go my mom was. My parents were super chill about it. To be honest, I think I'm. I'm, I was kind of underselling it to them as well, to be fair. But I mean, as I, I firmly believe that the company was doing everything that they possibly could for us. And I, I, I never really got to a point where I felt unsafe. And so I think because I was never at that point that I was kind of able to like put that onto my family. And so none of them were ever really got to a point either where it, was like oh you need to get home right now like you're unsafe where you are i mean we were docked in san diego for quite some time and when we were in san diego we were just up and down the coast of mexico back up to san diego and we were we were like that for a, a while and it just like i said i just i never got to a point where i felt like i would needed to go home right now so i think because of that they also were calm about it which was nice mm-hmm. What about you, Peggy Sue? Yeah, my parents were definitely freaking out. Um, <laughs> <laughs> You're in China. <laughs> yeah, I so yeah, I think to be fair, that was the biggest thing is I was in China, and um, that's where you know when you first heard about it, it was just like all these people are getting sick and dying in China, and that was kind of it. That was the news. Nobody thought it was going anywhere else, and so I think the fact that like this was only happening in China, and I was in China was stressful. Um, I never, yeah, I never felt unsafe. We did, we did have to do all the temperature checks. We had to wear masks everywhere. Um, and it was all provided by for the company. Uh, yeah, I was never, uh, concerned for my health or anything like that or my safety, but it was a stressful situation just because like at that point there were like, if people feel like now we don't have the answers, let me tell you in January, they didn't even know they needed answers. Like it was, yeah disaster and so sometimes ignorance bliss you know yeah exactly um i think the the kind of the final straw though was when i left that ship and went to another ship and they were like really can you just like come home and i was like no it's fine like it's not a big deal and so I think when it started spreading, um, there was a big concern and they were concerned that I was going to get stuck on that ship in Australia. But like Mikey said, I mean, like I felt really safe on the ship, like nobody was sick. And so it's like, I felt worse traveling and going to the airport and coming home. Yeah. It it was insane. The airports were crazy. I felt so much more at risk in, um, 
I don't know, unsure and stressed out and anxious than I ever did on the ship. It's like, it was annoying on the ship. You know, you couldn't eat like you wanted to, you were kind of stuck in your room, but it's like, everybody's stuck somewhere now too. You know, you're all just stuck at your house or whatever. And I felt like on the ship, it was like, I, it wasn't as stressful because you didn't have to pack up all your stuff. You didn't have to go somewhere. You didn't have to go to the airport and see all these sick people coughing and be like, oh, do you have the cold or are you going to kill me? Like, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. So what was the, let's on a lighter subject, what was the best place you visited? I mean, uh, you know, on these cruises, that's the greatest thing about cruises. You can see a bunch of places and you, Peggy Sue, you've been all over the world. I mean, you're talking about yeah. Spain and South Asia. What, you know, Mikey, what was your favorite place that you docked or landed or were able to see that you hadn't been to before? Oh, I've got a few. I got to I got to go to New Orleans for the first time, which was crazy cool. Um, Puerto Rico was beautiful. Um, I really enjoyed um, um, Curacao in the Caribbean, as well as Aruba was gorgeous and Barbados was and. I, I mean, like, this is super basic, but Disney's private island is just incredible. And, like, they had they had a, a private beach for the crew, too, which was just so nice. That was that was a great one, too. Oh, good. What about you, Pegasus? It's so hard. Um, definitely, I think Spain was amazing, and I did not get enough time there, and I want to go back. Um, I got to go to Madrid and Cadiz. Uh, Cadiz, I think they call it. Um, and those were incredible places. Um, I also, um, was surprisingly so in love with Vietnam. Um, it was so amazing. I mean, I remember getting excited for this, uh, this itinerary cause I was going to go to Taiwan during the lantern festival and see, uh, the great wall of China and all these things. And I feel like I was captivated by Vietnam. It was so amazing, but, um, I don't know. There's something to be said about the Caribbean too. It, it, it seems basic, but I'm depending on what happens, I'm supposed to be going back and spending some more time in the Caribbean. And there's something about just like getting off and going to the beach and being able to relax or go snorkeling or see the dolphins and the sea lions and all the different fish. And that's something that you really can't, um, compare with anything else it's so natural and beautiful yeah so what are you guys going to do now while you're in quarantine how are you going to stay creative oh my goodness i don't know <laughs> i got my web series so i'm going to be i'm going to be playing a lot of guitar um i'm trying to write as much as possible which is easier said than done watching a lot of tv which i'll call research and playing <laughs> some video games you know yeah take it what are you doing yeah, I'm I'm keeping busy with a couple of different things. My original plan was to, you know, rehearse and prepare for my next uh, contract because I know what shows. Um, but now that this is going on so long, I, I don't know what's going to happen next. Um, so I'm just trying to keep, you know, things going like practicing and stuff. I'm learning Spanish. So I've been spending a lot of time doing that. Um, hola. <laughs> so... Yeah, I think I'm just trying to keep myself busy with a bunch of different things. And I'm hoping that, I don't know, you don't know, like in a couple weeks or a couple months when this is all going to let up. But I'm trying to figure out how to exercise in my room and so that I'm prepared for whatever when it's time. Yeah. Okay, one last question before we call it quits for today. You guys have been terrific. 
who was uh, the one person or show that kind of turned your world around? You know, that, that aha moment, this is what I want to do. You know, what, you know, that made you want to be in this business. And uh, then after that, you have to tell me what your dream role would be. Go ahead, Mikey. We'll start with you. I mean, I, I can tell you for a fact that the, the revival of Pippin, the recent one directed by Diane Paulus was what made me decide to go to college for musical theater. That, that show just blew my mind. Um, as far as like people go, I mean, there's definitely actors that I admire and like model my career and myself after uh, Jeremy Jordan, of course, um, Corey Cott, Stark Sands. Um, but honestly, like as far as inspiration goes, I'd say like just like the people and friends that are around me that are also doing what I'm like, we're all trying to do it at the same time and seeing them go out to auditions every day helps me also be able to go out to auditions every day i'd say so i think yeah that's that's my answer for that one um dream role is it's it's jack kelly and newsies man has been since <laughs> i was a junior in high school and that's good to yeah know. yeah that's the one someday someday what about you peggy sue who's your wow person or show you know, it's so interesting because I think for the longest time, this answer was always just like dream role, Alphabet and Wicked. You know, I just think anybody that has ever done the role is fantastic. And that is what I wanted to do. That was so my inspiration. It, that was like my key into musical theater. It's the first musical I saw. Um, I have a crazy connection with it. I mean, when I moved to New York, um, my vocal teacher, my private voice coach, Amanda Flynn, she was in the cast of Wicked that I saw in eighth grade in California. So it's just like absolutely crazy. You know, when we went to see it, it wasn't even for me. It was for my brother and it affected me so much. But like Mikey said, I think things change for me. It's not like, yes, that was kind of my gateway into musical theater and what could be. Um, but there's, I don't think for me, it's like a driving force of like, um, this dream role or this person that's impacted me, but it's like, you know, the more I learn and the more I experience and the more I do and all these people I interact with from working at the Madison theater to working on new shows in New York to doing cruise ships and, traveling and growing up it's like everything changes all the time so it's like what is my dream role I don't know like I would love to be Alphabet and Wicked of course but it's like now there are so many other things I want to do like work on new shows and you know new things are being written all the time or performing on cruise ships is so amazing too so but I think like yeah I'm inspired by this art that just keeps reforming itself and creating into new things well, that's that's amazing, and I and I agree with you both. I think the people around you inspire you just as much as the people not around you, and and I've learned so much about everyone I've ever worked with, including both of you. You guys have taught me so much, and even though you know I'm 35 years your senior, 30 years your senior, I continually learn from people like you, and it's inspiring. You guys inspire me. I watching your stuff on YouTube and on your websites and stuff just inspired me again today. I was just like, you guys are really incredible. I want to thank you both for being here with me. Uh, it's great. I want to thank my guests, Peggy Sue Johnson and Mikey Merriman uh, for chatting today. And it's been a pleasure. I'm telling you, I, I, I've, 
feel like I haven't seen you guys in forever. Well, it hasn't been. It's been a couple of years, but you're terrific actors. You're terrific singers. I really appreciate you joining me today. And if you haven't seen them on a cruise or any of these cruises, uh, go out and cruise when everything gets back up because I'm sure you'll see these guys. And uh, if you don't, you're going to see them on stage someplace in this country because they both are fantastic. So until then, we're going to keep the seats warm for you here at the Madison. Thank you very much. Good night, guys. I want to thank producers Kathleen the Machine Marino, Eileen Swagger Sweeney, and the VP of Advancement Edward the Terrific Thompson. Technical support and editing by Calvin the Great Guevara Flores, graphic designs by Francis Bouncing Bonnet, and Sarah Prancing Palazzolo.